Did the chains fall off? Just like we just sang? Amen. <laughs> Thank you for that. I, I, some of these great songs that we sang this morning, they just touched my heart. Uh, because we commune with Him. Thank you for leading us to the throne this morning, team. It's great to be back with you again. We were here last fall, and we did the, um, what's the hour that follows us? The uh, Connections Hour, we were with you uh, for that. And we got the chance to share quite a bit about our work in Cote d'Ivoire and things that we are doing there. Uh, and I'm going to repeat some of that today. So if some of this fami- is familiar, it's because I'm trying to ram home an idea for you. Anyhow, it is nice to be back. Uh, two years ago, we were here, and I spoke about Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas mentored Saul at huge uh, risk to himself. But then one day, Saul became Paul, and he became the leader of the missionary journey. That's the great thing about doing mentoring is eventually the mentoree rises up and becomes the authority over the mentor when it's done right. My point was that at some time, if we mentor correctly, they will mature and they will take our places. One of the difficulties the church has faced down through the decades, through the centuries, is that oftentimes those who are older in Christ are reluctant to bring their mentorees into leadership. Uh, there's something that those of us who have silver on our heads have to, have to do yet too. But uh, we do need to bring people forward. Those of you who know Mimi and I, we're all about uh, mentoring and discipling the next generation. We've developed a, uh, a tagline for our lives. It is, develop next generation leaders for church and mission. Uh, and that is what led us to Journey Corps in West Africa in Cote d'Ivoire, uh, Ivory Coast to most of you. They don't like it when you say Ivory Coast because they say we're a Francophone country, we speak French, so we should, we should call it Cote d'Ivoire. And so forgive me if I keep saying that, or if I say Ivoirians, I'm talking about the people of Ivory Coast of Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, just to make that all clear before I get started. Uh, Journey Corps is a one- to two-year cross-cultural experience similar to that of the Peace Corps, only it is for Christ that we do these things. Uh, it's an opportunity to serve even at great personal cost to yourself. Okay, did you get that? <laughs> it's, it's not your typical short-term trip where you're fed, bathed, powdered, and put to bed on time. <laughs> it is not that at all. Uh, and it's, it's quite an experience, and we just love working with young adults. Um, today, though, I have to come to you with my hat in my head, hands and my head bowed, because as I prepared down through the last months when we first heard that we were coming, we came to the understanding, well, I prepared something completely different. And as I got to the States, I realized that I was going to have to do something. The Lord just was not bringing that message together. And I felt like he was asking me to talk about something that we have experienced in Cote d'Ivoire with our journeyers. Because it comes specifically from their culture and their background. Your culture and my culture. 
And it's difficult for us to change culture. As a matter of fact, we begin to understand the culture that we have as being correct and moral. There's two kinds of culture, if you will. There's non-moral culture. That's the kind of culture that's just the way we do it. You know, uh, just a few uh, decade ago, I'd have been wearing my tie and my coat because that was the culture of the day, especially at the pulpit. Now I'm not even tucked in. Black, blue jeans. All right? I would have been crucified uh, 10 years ago. Now, it's a cultural shift that has taken place. And we kind of say, originally, we gave it moral connotation. Today, young adults don't give it any longer a moral understanding. It's not a moral issue to them. It was a moral issue in my day. And so things have changed. And it, it takes time for that to change. Then the second kind of culture is that which has a moral implication. And this morning I want to talk about something that you and I do and we discover among our journeyers that I, you probably think is just a non-moral issue. But I've compared the issues our journeyers go through with Scripture and come up with the idea that probably this is a moral issue for you and I. So please be patient with me. I'm trying to weave together somewhat of a report of what we do in Cote d'Ivoire along with Sunday morning, and we belong to be in God's Word. So I'm welding these two things together, and it's going to take a long introduction for me to set forward to you the basic concept of what we're uh, getting here. We work with young Americans and Germans in West Africa, and there's perspective of American culture. Uh, it's a, it, we're able to see that perspective just because we're in a different country, and we have begun to adopt a, an African culture. And when they come to us, we see this, uh, and uh, we see the good and the bad. Uh, living in a national home for these juniors brings out the best and the absolute worst in them. Uh, under stress, their world, uh, their worldview, basically, their culture starts to show around the edges. And uh, food, language, customs, you know, we, they have to work in French. And so they're intelligent young adults, and yet they speak with a three-year-old's ability and vocabulary. If that isn't demeaning, <laughs> I don't know what is. And then uh, they have to learn to the customs, the hygiene facilities, which we won't talk a whole lot about. And they have to learn not to use this hand. I, I talked about this before. For those of you who were in the last time, you don't use this hand, especially when you hand money to someone because this has a certain hygiene task in a land that doesn't use paper products. So that's as far as we're going to go. You bet you never thought you were going to hear that from a pulpit. The issue that, the, I mean, I, I still do it. I pull up to a fast food restaurant, and what side of the car are they on? It's on the left, and they want me to. So I unbuckle, and I turn sideways, and I hand up my money with my right hand because you just don't do it with your left hand. You don't give money to someone with your left hand. And then I pull up to the next window, and what do they try to do? They try to hand me food to my left hand. That is a terrible insult. 
That is the culture that I have moved into. And I still find it uncomfortable when I come to those places because I'm constantly trying to use my right hand for those particular things. Culture takes time to change. And it's difficult to do. This past term, Mimi and I have run headlong into cultural issues with our journeyers. They come from an achievement-based culture. And in Cote d'Ivoire, we live in a faith-based culture. Catch that? These young adults that come to us from good churches in America and have a walk with Christ, they come from an achievement-based culture, whereas Ivorians come from a faith-based culture. They believe that God is in charge of everything and that all the results of life are his. It's inshallah. Uh, God willed it. So whether something goes right or something goes wrong, they always say, ah, God willed it. God willed it. Now, I'm talking about people, this is small g, any kind of God. And I'll tell you, we've got numerous different concepts about God in Cote d'Ivoire. But they believe that the results of our actions always belong to God. In the West, it's a bit different than that. We have an achievement-based culture. Let me try to draw a picture of what I mean by this. Whenever we in the Western world embark on anything, we want to measure the work we did by the results. It, it's, uh, it, yeah, it kind of goes like this. Businesses are obsessed with goal setting. We start out by saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to build widgets. I have no idea what a widget is, but that's a good example. Uh, we're going to build widgets. So, hey, Bob, how many widgets did we do yesterday? 75. How many have we done this today? Oh, we've only done 60. Well, I guess we better all stay after work because we've got to do at least 75, if not more. Why? Because our result is not as good as yesterday. And in an achievement-based culture, we establish whether we are winning or failing based on our results. Based on our results. Achievement-based living is a staple of our American culture. It's in our churches. It's in our Christian lives as well. So what's the big deal for you and I? Achievement or result-based living isn't biblical. Did you see that one coming? Just let me throw out a couple examples very quickly here. Matthew 16, 18, it's the, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he turns to them and says, who do people say that I am? And their response is this and that. There's been several different things said. Then he turns to Peter and says, Peter, who do you say I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, and you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, there are all kinds of theological questions about this passage. But one thing we have firmly before us is when Jesus says, I will build my church. You disciples are charged with the knowledge of me, and you are going to make disciples, and you're going to teach them all I've commanded you. You are going to do the work, but I will build 
my church, says Jesus. The result of the church, the living body of Christ, that's you, not this room, belongs, that result belongs to him. It is not the responsibility of the disciples or me or Pastor Ben or anyone else to make or to build the church. That belongs to Jesus. How about this one? John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now this is repeated again a second time in the passage. And this is also the passage where the message that Jesus brought to them was so difficult that at that time many disciples left him because of the things that he said. But what he was saying is that when I offer the gospel to someone, that is my task. It is the thing that God has given me to do. It is not my job to save the individual. That rests alone with the act of God drawing him or that individual to Jesus. Okay, so you see the result doesn't belong to me doesn't belong to me. Therefore, when it comes to spiritual results, we are impotent to make anything happen. Now, oftentimes we, we double our efforts. We have all kinds of evangelism classes. And please, don't misunderstand me. I believe in those things. I believe that you and I should be articulate in the use of God's Word and the use of the story of Jesus Christ on the cross saving us from our sins and rising again. We should be articulate to be able to speak about those things. But the results of saving belongs to him. Some weeks ago when I shared this in another church, uh, a woman afterward came up to me, a highly educated woman. I believe she was the head of their uh, school committee in the region. And she asked me the question, of course you're only talking about spiritual things, right? God only owns the results of those spiritual activities. And to her I added the question, do we do all things as unto the Lord, a la Colossians 3.23, where everything we do we give to God, it belongs to Him, we do the work and the results belong? Yes, this touches every part of your and my life. When we service and when we do the things that God has asked of us and commanded us to do, the results are always His. Even in your business life, even in your school life, we are to do all that we do. The job that you have, the children that you are raising, the relationships that you have, we are to do the things that God has commanded us to do in those relationships. But He is to own the results. Results-based living is a part of our culture, though. We do it without even thinking. It was funny, someone just recently said, yeah, I was in town on a Saturday, and I was, you know, down in the traffic. I couldn't believe how busy it was. And we say things like, hey, in, uh, in spite of the traffic, I still got to work on time. I drove my car in such a way that I was able to get through that traffic, and I still got to work on time. Because I want to own the result. I do my work so that I can get a good result. It's a part. We do it without even thinking about it. To make this, to run this home, 
before I do another example, let me do a little questioning here. Can we communicate? Good. Great, thank you. Uh, I'm all for casual because we're in this together. Does that book there, does it say that we should pray? This is Bible, by the way, in case you didn't know that. Does it say we're supposed to pray? So we pray. So we pray. Does it say that we should share the gospel? Absolutely. It says that we are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our people, with the people around us. Sometimes that is through just simply carrying the Holy Spirit that God has given us into situations, our moral living, and eventually we get around to sharing who Jesus was, the work he did for us on the cross. So we share it. Does that book say that we should love our enemies? Yeah, I I struggle with that one. (laughs) But it's true, just the same. We are to love our enemies. Now, I'm picking things that are really substantial, central pieces of our walk as Christians. Does it say that we're to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together? It absolutely does. The problem we have is when we begin to evaluate how we are doing in our God-given tasks. These are four tasks that we don't really question as being true for us. But then we start to say, how am I doing in my God-assigned tasks? This is where it, this kind of living causes problems for you and I. I'm, are my prayers being answered? Well, maybe I didn't pray correctly. Maybe I didn't pray enough. I should have been on my knees instead. I should have spent hours in prayer because I didn't get the result. I didn't get the result. How about um, are the people, are people accepting Jesus from the gospel that I share with them? Well, um, maybe I should take another class in evangelism. Or maybe I shouldn't have told them they were going to hell if they didn't accept Jesus. Maybe that was a little bit, little bit much. Huh? Are my enemies being drawn to Jesus because I love them? Then what's this black eye that I've got? <laughs> Are they coming? Well, Lord, maybe I just really didn't love them. I just pretended I did because, frankly, my enemies are not lovable. I just can't. So I, I've, I only pretended. That's why you're not drawing them. See, I'm evaluating myself based on the results that belong to who? God. I'm not accepting the task as being the only thing that I'm responsible for. I want to own that result. Does my going to church make any difference whatsoever? It's told to, we're told to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. What am I really getting by being here at church? Does it actually change my life? Am I really walking away with something? When young adults ask these questions, we've seen this among our juniors, when they, ask these, when they start asking themselves and evaluating themselves by these kinds of things, their self-worth just totally tanks. Their spiritual walk becomes depressing. 
Ever been there? Ever been there? Lord, I did what you said. For young adults, their faith oftentimes becomes ir- ir- um, irrelevant. <laughs> Mimi's down here mouthing it for me. Irrelevant. Uh, they see God as capricious. God, I did what you told me to do, and you didn't show up. I did not see the results. You told me to share with these people. You told me to love them, and you didn't show up. And it's so hard for a young adult, especially, to come back to the Lord. Why? Because we trained them to be a result-based individual. They believe they can't go back to God until they fix themselves. Because unless they do that, they won't get a good result from God. That's why our nieces, our nephews, our sons, and our daughters, our neighbors, just can't walk with God any longer. Because they see God as capricious because we have taught them from our culture own the results now others (laughs) this is a funny response others when they get this no results from their activities for god they try to push ahead well i'm going to work at this even harder i'm going to become a missionary how hard can it be we have our missionaries come and they tell us about all these wonderful results that they're getting on the foreign field It's missions. How hard could it be? And they come to us in Journey Corps, and within a few months, they have exerted themselves a lot. They've worked harder than they've ever worked before, many of them. And they see themselves as failures because they are not getting the results that they think they should be getting. Now, I said we were going to get to God's Word. (laughs) I, I I promised that we were. Is this just a Phil Bjorklund's anthropological study about journeyers who come to Africa, or is there something more in Scripture? This is a verse that you know. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is by grace you have been saved through, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by lest any man should, excellent. You've been to Iwana, I suspect. What is it saying? The meaning is that the spiritual application of faith belongs to God. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. At the right time, God applied to your life the grace for you to have the faith to make that choice. So the results always belong to God. Why? So that I cannot boast and say, I saved myself. Or I I prayed the prayer, I'm saved. Look at me. It has to be solely by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Otherwise, we begin to own the result that belongs only to God. How about, uh, we'll just continue on the next next verse, uh, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, okay, made by him. When I became a new creature in Christ, I became made by him. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
My task is to be obedient to the things he's asked of me as his child. That's my task. Which God, the works that God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So what he's saying is our goal is to do good works irregardless of the result. Even when the result that we get is not a good one. The older I get, you know, Mimi and I are getting creaky knees and silver hair and not what we used to be. The older we get, the more that we know that God is not so worried about our comfort as he is with our obedience. Catch that? Especially in our Western culture where comfort is extremely important. God is not so much concerned about my comfort as much as he is with my obedience. And in this one cultural aspect, I think we have been disobedient. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7, and I like this one because it lays it out so well. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. Now, that throws a monkey wrench in the work. He says, so who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Yeah, just the guys you came to believe through. So he is kind of saying, well, we had some involvement in this, but he goes on to say, through whom uh, you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes the thing grow. So there's more evidence that results-based living is wrong. I'm not saying that you and I should not work hard, that we shouldn't consider what we are doing in our lives. That's not the objective. The objective is to allow God to own the results and not allow it to destroy us. Why is this such a big deal? Because it teaches us to be a people of faith. It's trusting our works into the hands of God. Gone is the idea that our work will make the difference. It is not our work that makes the difference. With, with our journeyers, it's, it's really difficult because some of them want to buy the next airplane ticket back to the United States because they're just, just devastated after four months, sometimes five months. They just hit rock bottom. And it's so hard on them because they're trying so hard. They came to serve God, and they get there, and they find out that they can't serve because they don't have the tools they need to serve. They have to overcome the heat. They have to overcome the hygiene. They have to overcome being uh, sick with malaria. They have to overcome all of these issues of life. And they say, they cry out to God, God, I came here to serve you. You didn't show up. I'm out of here. I'm going back to a world where I can make a difference, where I can get results. We talked to them a lot about doing. Doing equals working hard on our own efforts, in our own efforts, to see a result we can own. Being, on the other hand, is a life of service that finds its end in the obedient service and not the results of our service. 
That's what we're looking for. Uh, we don't look at the results. We find ourselves obedient in service. Are you living an achievement-based life? Are you measuring your walk with God based on the results of your efforts? I think it's why many believers are depressed. Many believers are sad about their walk with Christ. Many people beat themselves daily over the sins in their lives, which they are sins. They are difficulties. But one of the things we beat our hearts up about is we are not getting the results that we want. We want to be able to push out the back of this auditorium to contain more and more people. That would be a good thing, a good goal. Nothing wrong with that. But when God doesn't provide that result, as long as we know that we are faithful to the tasks, he owns the results. We need to be that kind of people of faith. Here's how not to be an achievement-based believer. Just a couple of ideas. Pray. Because it's his will. You have the chance to walk into the throne room of God and bring to him every hurt, every joy, every struggle, your job, your indebtedness, your divorce, your this, your that, your being single, all the issues of your life. You have the chance to bring them into the throne room of God and say, God, help. And then leave them right there with your God and have faith that he will deal with them because he knows the things that you do not. That doesn't mean you don't bring them every single day, but it means that you leave them with your God. We oftentimes beat ourselves up because we don't get the results from those prayers that we think we should get. Share the gospel. Because it's his will. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't give it to the angels. The angels could have done a much better job than you and I could do. I, I, I don't get it. God, you had the power to give it to your angels. Then you gave it to us. Love your enemies. Because he already does. He loves them. You should love them too. The person that's hard to work with, the one that gives you a hassle because you might bow your head and pray at lunch, the one who hassles you because you stand up for morality and righteousness and justice, in a world that, my friends, is going the opposite direction, you are swimming up water, up the river, when the rest of the world is going that way, and you get browbeat for walking a life that's righteous and just and moral, and you hold to those things. It is hard to love a person who hates you for being just and honest. God loves them. You do the same. Gather yourselves together because you know it's his will. This is the place. What do we call it this morning? It is the hospital for sinners. It is the hospital for sinners. That is where you and I sit this morning. We are here to bathe the hurts and the pains because the person sitting next to you knows the walk that you walk in this world. 
what greater joy is there? We gather ourselves together to enjoy the fellowship of people who are swimming upriver right alongside us. The results are God's. He's given you tasks. Find joy in the task. Find your joy in the task. Did I get through? I wanted to share with you the struggle that Mimi and I have with young adults who experience these things. And this is for me too, <laughs> because I haven't got it yet. I keep looking at my results. I think it's something you have to visit every single day. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you've given us in your word some mandates. Uh, Matthew 28 talks about us um, being, uh, teaching people to obey all that you've commanded. And as we do that obedience thing in our own lives, Lord, you are our God, and we grant you the authority and the honor to own all of the results. Lord, give us joy. Give us uh, the desire to have effort in the work that you've given to each of us. You've given us gifts. You've given us strengths for us to use in carrying your love to people who don't know you. Lord, give us the joy and contentment in that alone so that you may have the results of the things that you've decided for yourself. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us. Father, if there's anything that I have said that detracts from you in any way, may it fall by the wayside so that your name will be honored and praised through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.